What's up, guys? I'm Matt. I'm Will, and this is the Carolina Way Podcast. Bernard to the 40. Will they catch him inside the 20? Giovanni Bernard. Tar Heels are the national dadgum champions. The ceiling is the roof. That's what it's all about right there. That's on the floor. That's on your shirt. That's in your heart. Matt, I mean, what what can we say at this point? I, I actually think there's a lot we could say at this point. And it kind of falls into the pattern of the entire season that last week against Duke, as we said, was our bounce back game against Georgia Tech. And for some reason, we feel high and mighty this week going into Florida State, where all types of records have um, been going against us in Florida State over recent years, and we had this performance. Before I get on my soapbox and give you uh, take a page out of the Colin Cowherd mono- opening monologue that he always does at each show that I have been practicing, I'd love to hear your initial thoughts. Well, Will, if I had a sick day left, I'd have called in today, okay? <laughs> because I do not um, know if I have the energy to even break down the letdown of this college football program called UMC. Um, another tough loss, another loss that should never happen. Um, if you thought we had a long list of questions about this team and this program, we have even more now. It's tough, not surprising anymore, though, which sucks because that kind of tells you where we're at. But it's when we went into – the second half, uh, Saturday, I said to myself, it's very possible that we're going to just get embarrassed because as bad as FSU is, our low is very low. Um, what sucks is we show spurts of being really good. We were up 10-0 right out the gate. But we just can't put a full game together, and I don't really know exactly what the problem is. But hopefully by the end of this podcast, we'll, we'll figure out all of – Carolina football's problems. Matt, for me, the big takeaway, the thing that you wake up this morning with a little bit of clarity and think about and realize is expectations. That's really what it boils down to me this year. Um, I had started a class last week, right? And going into the class, I was heard from some other people that had an earlier section. Oh, this professor is going to cold call on you, right? You got to be prepared, watch the async come to class, you got to be ready to go. So I said, all right. So I was not upset or anything. I did my preparation even more now. I was ready. I came to class, destroyed class, killed it, right? But I was not upset that it was a hard, challenging, and it's going to be a hard, challenging class just because of them, like, cold calling and you, like, really being on top of you the entire two hours that you're in class. I was completely fine with that. I was also completely fine when the professor said, hey, this is going to be the most challenging course of the program. Um, You know, obviously, some course is going to be the most challenging of the program. So even that does not bother me. And, you know, I appreciate hearing this up front, like, hey, get ready for what's about to happen. Just be good to go. And, you know, as long as you can prepare, I'm fine with that. So I prepared, doing well so far, one weekend. But when it comes to UNC football, our expectations, Matt, of the entire offseason was about how good we were going to be. So here I am. Uh, we see the bowl game performance. This is actually what originated the, uh, the pod. Our first episode was the bowl game, the pre-game and the post-game about our excitement levels for UNC athletics. That's what got us into this. And we were returning 21 of 22 starters. All 22 people that started that game were going to be starters for this season because of the Chas Surratt and um, offensive players and whatnot switching in. Yet, uh, we had some most experienced offensive line since like the 90s. We've read that tweet before maybe even the 80s. It's insane how much experience we have up front. 
We have a great graduate transfer coming in, Ty Chandler, that should be a plug and play for our top running backs that are killing it on Sundays now. Um, we still have Sam Howell, year three. And we have some receivers that kind of proved their mark a little bit against a tough Texas A&M team. So we hear all this stuff from spring ball, all during the offseason about how great the defense looks. The offense, of course, looks great. Game one VT, buzzsaw a little bit. Offense is not really going like we expected. Defense was doing okay, but we were like, they're out there too much. Let's see how the season goes from here. And that was a tough loss already. Bounce back against Georgia Tech somewhat. I mean, it wasn't the performance we were all expecting, right? Uh, then you come in the next week, we have uh, Virginia, right? We host Virginia, and we we're still playing okay, but we were able to get a win, so we're like, all right, maybe we're building towards something here. Georgia Tech, flat. And that, that was a pretty ridiculous double-point favorite there. Um, you get Duke, pretty good performance. We said it was last week, our best performance of the season. That was your words, Matt. I, I agree. It was, uh, you know, Kind of good, like got some takeaways, offense was rolling, different players were uh, getting involved. Ty Chandler in the passing game is pretty good. And then this game happens. Uh, and just the expectations for me is just what I keep coming back to because we expected so much more from this team. And it's not even like it's an injury thing. Like we have not really had any issues with that that's going to hold us back. And it's more of just the guys coming together and I guess having the buy-in to like actually beat teams. Cause it, I mean, being an 18 and a half point favorite at home against Florida state, a team that lost to an FCS school a few weeks ago, just got their first win of the season against Syracuse of all teams comes in and pretty much drubs UNC. Like they control the entire game. That's just not the expectations UNC has led us along with since January or it may be even longer than that. Yeah, well, and that's what hurts us fans the most and probably the coaching staff and the players. Listen, like we can get on to everybody today, but the coaching staff and the players don't want to lose either. And I don't doubt that they're giving it, you know, they're all, whether they're doing it the right way, we don't know. But the inconsistency is what hurts because you build yourself up as a fan base, as a team, as a coaching staff. And then the next week, you reach the bottom of the bottom. Um, Virginia Tech wasn't that mad. Wasn't that mad. I was disappointed. But I kind of readjusted what the team was going to be. And I said, the Coastal's still wide open. There's no dominant team. We saw quickly that Clemson wasn't that great. And I said, if we bounce back, if we use this as a, as a turning point of the season – then we'll be a great team. It'll be a great season. But then Georgia Tech really set in, oh, wait, like we might have deeper issues. And then, you know, hopefully Saturday was just the bottom of the barrel and we say, okay, now it's time to fix things. Now we have legit things that need to be fixed, whether it be coaching or position players or, or whatever it is, and that has to be fixed ASAP. And if it's not going to be fixed or it's not fixable, then we need to start playing young guys and straight up just preparing for next year because we're just wasting our time doing things the way we're doing them now. So the inconsistency, as you said, is, is what gets us all. It's what probably makes us mad. It's also what made Keenan Stadium not 100% full Saturday. Um, people don't know what Carolina team is going to show up. Um, and, and when you have an inconsistent team, you sometimes have an inconsistent fan base. Just getting to the fan base real quick, I'll tell you what. Around my area, at least, when game time actually started, I know it was a slow-filling crowd with the rain and expectations of the game and whatnot. But still, this is Florida State. It should be a huge draw as it is. Miami should be a huge draw. It's not like we're hosting teams like Syracuse, Boston College, like these are huge brands and powerhouses that brought their fans to the game as well. And my area, at least, was pretty into it. I, I saw on Twitter that people were hating on the fans that showed up a little bit here and there or lack thereof. 
but our area was standing up like the entire time and this was season ticket area and I mean we were into it uh, and we were very positive through three and a half quarters or so or maybe yeah going into the fourth quarter so maybe three full quarters pretty positive about it all and so I mean I felt like still we had full support for the team even the student section on a rainy day like that as well I don't know if it's like fall break time too or whatnot but by the time the game started like it was decent like I understand it wasn't like the earlier games where it was completely full like an hour beforehand but I mean like it wasn't like this was a neutral site game by any means like Keenan Stadium was kind of making a difference on Florida State committing some false starts in the game but it's also the penalties against UNC and the inconsistency that you're talking about and you're I'm trying to think about who to blame like we've always said before you know Matt Brown is our CEO head coach and he coaches the coaches that's you know we love that so if he's coaching the coaches uh, then these coaches have to coach the players and we have some supposedly great coaches on the staff like we have Lonnie Galloway who we are kind of expecting him to be the head coach in waiting yet we have one of his receivers catching over 50 percent of the passes and other ones dropping wide open catches in the middle of the field but he's supposed to be like like our associate head coach like great uh Jay Bateman we also thought like after we beat Clemson or close to beating Clemson that game um that he might be the head coach in waiting and we saw the defense just not be able to make stops in the first quarter and it's really concerning because we have I mean really great starts to the game Georgia State Virginia uh, Georgia Tech I mean really all these games even Duke we played pretty well to start this game as well we were up 10-0 and we just let teams back in somehow and we just it seems like we just make no adjustments or they're making adjustments I don't know what's going on with that but it's bad when the fans in the stands were saying like oh it's going to be a run play like we all knew it was going to be a run play and everyone on our sideline knew it was going to be a run play and we still can't do anything about it and then that's that's when you get concerned along with the penalties that definitely don't help matters either yeah like just a quick comment on the fan thing you know if people want to be critical of the fans somebody tweeted a great quote and this is going to be a misquote but it's somewhere around what they said they said that fans have exceeded expectations far more than the program has so far. And I agree with that statement 100%. The fans have shown up consistently um, compared to my freshman year at Carolina. There was nobody. So while a rainy day against what was supposed to be one of the worst ACC opponents wasn't perfect, I thought the fans that were there were loud early. Um, student section was full, so definitely not on students. And it was overall 75, 80% full, which is on a rainy day, not bad at all. That's my one comment on the fans. Moving on to the team overall, yeah, like you, you do have great coaches, and, and, and Mac is the CEO. And, you know, I see people calling for people's job. We'll get into it. Yeah, and I'm not going to get into that right now, but it doesn't all fall on Mac because I do believe he gives a certain amount of freedom to his coaches. The question is, when does he step in or or when does he make a change? Um, And I'm not just – I'm not talking about firing. I'm just talking about scheme-wise. Maybe there's a problem in the locker room. I haven't heard that. I'm just saying – um, when do we like start to shift things completely? And I, I think, you know, when you're three and two and you should beat Florida State, you're going, okay, the season is not completely done. If you finish the season nine and two, that's a good season. But when you lose to Florida State and Georgia's taking your three and three, now you're talking about are we even going to make a bowl? So things do change after that. I don't know the steps to go from here, but I do think we're going to see big changes. Um, and I don't know if that's like who's coaching next season or if that's complete different scheme. I don't know if that's a new running back. DJ Jones looked pretty dang good when he was used. 
Saturday, maybe one of the few bright spots, a guy that didn't even get playing time in the first game of the season. Mind-blowing. That, that's not even understandable. Uh, Kamari Morales caught another pass for a touchdown. Another bright spot in the Carolina offense. Another guy that really didn't hardly get any playing time early in the season. So it's weird that we're finding these guys that are on the bench, uh, maybe over more highly recruited guys. Um, it's just interesting, Will, to see all the, the ways the season's working out and how it's completely opposite of what we thought it was going to be. Yeah, Matt. And, you know, I'm positioned kind of right in front of the cornerbacks, D-line. I see Coach Glover to my right and the whole family and everything. I see the butcher, Rucker, right here beside me, too, pretty close by as well, probably within 15, 20 yards of me. And so I'm really around the defense. And I'm kind of looking at the snap counts as well. And every time with whoever comes to me with the games, I say, hey, just look at um, Ritzy and Des Evans. Because on the sidelines, they stick out big time due to their size. But the thing is, they stay on the sideline. I see in this past game, Ritzy got 11 defensive snaps. And Evans, let's see, he had 10 defensive snaps. And they're the guys that are very highly touted coming in. And, you know, I kind of like to see a little bit more of them. I know that Ritzy got a stop on their QB in the third, fourth quarter, coming towards uh, the student section end zone on the UNC sideline. And I thought that was a pretty good play, but they aren't really in there long enough to make that much of a difference, especially to a defense that you would expect has to be gassed if we're just giving up nine yards on a first and 10 play at the 30-yard line after a punt. Um, and then also, it's pretty bad that we have a little bit of center uh, not even challenging each other because I know it's Brian Anderson. And uh, the other one is uh, – who's the other center, Matt? All right, I'm not too sure who the other center is, but he's number 69. Uh, 69 had a, had a pretty bad uh, flag during the game that got us pushed back. It was an ineligible receiver. Well, actually, that didn't get his pushback because of an interception late in the first half. But he had that penalty. He also got a uh, taunting, like roughing the defensive player thing. So then they put Brian Anderson in for a few plays, and then they put 69 back in. And it just seems like no one is really stepping up when it comes to their chance. I even know that uh, Coffrey Brown, he comes in the game, we throw it to him, drops it. But, you know, I feel like for him, if we could just get him in a better position to catch a ball, you hear it with college quarterbacks, NFL quarterbacks, on the first drive, like a Jalen Hurts when he's going to Dallas, they're not going to throw him at a route down the field on the first play. They're going to throw like a bubble, something behind the sticks, just something easy, like maybe a quick slant. I think that's what Coffrey Brown needs. We haven't really given our receivers too much easy stuff where they don't need the separation. You can just use the schematics of – receivers blocking to help him get open haven't seen that too much and, and maybe it would help Sam Howell too um, but I'm so glad that we're playing on a turf field Matt because by the end of the game or by the second half Sam Howell would have to put on a white jersey again just so that we could remember these on our team just due to how much he gets hit every game from just trying to carry the team on his back and I appreciate it I love it uh, it's very clear that on third and eights, he drops back and knows no one's going to be open. <laughs> so then he goes and actually gets first downs for us. Yeah. <clears throat> I'm not critical of Sam at all at this point in the season. I think Sam has been dealt a bad hand from the beginning of the season, which wasn't evident. Um, and it sucks for him because he was riding on that top five NFL pick and his his draft stock has stopped or has went down because of things kind of outside of his control. Um, and then you also have an offensive coordinator who's probably the best offensive coordinator in the country, 30 yards deep. But you know how much time it takes to draw to set up a play 
where guys, uh, receivers that aren't really, uh, let's be real, that good, except Josh Downs, it takes them a lot of time to get 30 yards deep and to get open. And Sam doesn't have that time. So other than Josh Downs, we don't have a short threat. And Josh Downs is also our deep threat. But we also don't have anybody to throw it short to. Morales is kind of coming into his own. But overall, I just feel bad for Sam because, if anything, he's made a few mistakes this year, but it's only because he's been put in very uncomfortable situations. If he had the team he had last year, not only does he have time and he's a good quarterback, but he's also turned into a running quarterback who's very good at running the ball, which is amazing because he's not fast, but he knows when to run. He knows how to avoid bad contact because I get scared to death every time he's out there running. Um, so he's kind of grown his game, but tape looks like he's worse, but I don't think he's worse. I think he's the same quarterback we've had, and I just hate it for him. And he also doesn't have consistent running backs back there with him. So it's just overall no blame on my end on Sam Howe. Yeah, I mean, he avoids contact as much as you can from a quarterback that's getting hit every single play of the game. Yeah. <laughs> um Yes, quick note on the fans. ESPN app has it at 89% capacity that attended the game, 44,800. And, you know, there's always people moving around and whatnot. So that's, you know, probably pretty accurate. Um, Nesbitt, that was another guy that got in. Well, it's interesting that the whole tight end group might have had two, three catches this game versus last game against Duke. We just kept going to the tight ends more than the receivers. That was an interesting note. Um, Tony Grimes, he played the most snaps as a defensive back on the team with 56 on Saturday. And as you probably saw, they never threw to him once. I think he's one of four or five ACC defensive backs, um, not just at, like, I guess his freshman level or whatever class he is, but cornerbacks in total – that have played over 100 like defensive snaps and have their um, intended receiver that they're guarding um, or, I guess, completing at a pass rate under 40%, and then the yards they're getting is like under four. It's, something, it's a crazy stat, Matt, hmm. and he's doing really well. They didn't throw to Grimes once this game, and their touchdown pass where they caught it at the end zone that they, um, very early on they had to review it. I think it might have been their first touchdown on the foot being down or maybe a little juggle, but there was no juggle. It was uh, number 11 that Grimes had been guarding the whole time on one side of the field. And then on that one play, they moved their 11 receiver to the other side of the field. We kept Grimes on our UNC sideline and they threw it to 11. That was the first time he got open. And then after that, Grimes was like tailing him the rest of the game at at that point. Um, So I thought that was kind of interesting that, that, you know, one of the only times Grimes was not on 11, they knew it and they attacked it. Their deep balls were not even that great, but we were just so worried about the run game and our inability to stop it that they even connected on those two. And now that we see Sam Howell, we've, he's missed the throws to, oh man, is it Antoine Green that's usually been a deep threat? Um, he didn't really get any looks this game deep. But we tried a couple other receivers on deep throws, and it's just a couple yards off. Justin Olsen missed one deep. Um, And then there's another one, too. It might have been Simmons that just a couple yards off. And I think that's from just not a lot of time in the pocket. So Sam isn't able to go through his full mechanics, and he's more worried about his arm getting hit from behind because that's what usually happens. So I think that might be a little bit of a – offensive line problem why we're not able to be efficient when we do get the deep balls off yeah I wanted to hit on you mentioned earlier about the you know substitute and how Javari Ritz is not out there maybe as much as it seems he should be because it seems like a talented guy um, and the tape shows it you know we came into the season and we talked to TP and you talked to many different people and they say oh you know like we're so deep and we have so many good young guys that we're going to substitute a lot. Um, You're going to see, you know, we're never going to get tired. And that was a problem last year. That was a consistent problem. Our defensive line last year 
got wore down often because we were so we just weren't deep. But this year we are. But it seems like this year we have the exact opposite problem. It seems that we are overcoaching and maybe we're not allowing guys to get into a rhythm on the field because if you look every play in and out, in and out, in and out, um, I'm not a schematic guy. I don't know. I know basketball on a play-by-play basis. I don't know uh, football like that. But it just seems like maybe you can do too much substituting and certain guys that should be on the field maybe 80% of the time, you're not allowing that. And they're obviously more talented. I don't know. Maybe that's something we're looking to fixing. I just think at some point you got to say the guys who earn it, the guys who you've got plenty of games now to look at tape, the guys who are obviously the best should be out there the most by far. Um, Not to a point where they're absolutely wore out and getting worn down, but more than they are now. That's a good point. Just looking at the snap counts, it's interesting now that we see you know, a guy that I'd love to start the season, Eugene Sante, a guy that can't even hardly get on the field. But I will say throughout the entire game, throughout the entire season of watching all these games, um, Asante has been a huge presence on the sideline, very animated. He's a special teams guy too, high energy. Love him on the, on the sidelines. He's been a great presence, even with a limited role. But also Power Eccles, who got tossed on that kick return in the first quarter, like in the first five minutes. Just a terrible result to be kicked out of the rest of the game because of that. But And it was wild, too, because UNC even got out the fire extinguisher. I don't know if you see this, Matt, but after a big defensive hit, one of our assistant coaches, uh, or maybe just not even assistant coach, but lower level, takes a fire extinguisher and sprays it on our player. So we're just going absolutely nuts about this play. And then all of a sudden, by the time the smoke clears of the fire extinguisher, oh, yeah, it was an illegal hit. You're out of here. So Power Heckles was also a great presence on the sideline. Just got to give the man some props because he um, had a lot of energy for the players yesterday. Will, no wonder we start every game on fire and then can't keep it going. There's a freaking fire extinguisher putting us out when we do a good play. Hey, UNC no, but, football, I'll let you go, but UNC uh, football, I don't know why they don't put that out on Twitter, but I'll take a video next time because I couldn't believe it either. But, yeah, we actually had a fire extinguisher, and we are using it on our, on our guy. <laughs> that's hilarious. Um, in, turn, in terms of Eugene Asante, I know Matt Brown doesn't like media exposure too much, but Mac himself built Asante up to be a guy that was supposed to be not only one of the best on our team, but we're talking about national coverage for this guy. Like, I mean, he played great in the bowl game. There was a lot of hype around what Eugene Asante can become. Hasn't become that, but is it because he's not on the field? I mean, we don't know. I mean, does anybody really have, other than other than Grimes, does has anybody really had the snap count to be big time on our defense? We're just – it's just a real committee defense. We have so many players out there. Nobody's really going to put up big numbers. And I'm not worried about numbers, but I'm worried about what's best to win. Um, are we really capable of doing it? So that's interesting. And I would, yeah, you have to take a video of of that celebration. Well, I have not seen that. And that's crazy because it's right to my right, but I did not get to see that. I mean, it goes very quickly, you know, with the – players going crazy and everything. And, of course, by that point, you're probably watching the field of the next play or whatever. But, yeah, no, I will definitely do that because I saw it against Duke. and I, I, So I miss it probably other times, but I saw it those two. So I will definitely put it on the Carolina Way Twitter next time. In terms of uh, – are you? do you want to get into maybe Max's comments after the game? I'd love to. Yeah, there's a new segment we wanted to do. And it's called the hot takes of Twitter after the game last night, definitely inspired some hot takes. So we can go with those first that we screenshotted, or we can go with Max first that we're also doing with this segment. What do you want to do, Matt? Let's go ahead and get into the tweets because I'm so excited for this uh, new little segment. Okay. So I have quite a few. I know Matt has about two or three. I think I have about six. So I'll start here with um, 
at, and we'll we'll give you your at too if you add us too, and we'll we'll give you some love here at Brett with two T's live. UNC football should handwrite an apology letter to every class of 2020 alum who came back this weekend to see that. And then there's a comment that says, I got on the Jumbotron and showed more energy than anyone on the sideline. <laughs> Matt, do you think that we should, uh, that UNC football should write apology notes to all those people? I already, I already love this segment. Let me just say that. Uh, yeah, not only should uh, they write apology letters, I don't want this to be a job of some person working in an office in the football center. Um, I want Mac Brown, Longo, Bateman, Dre Bly, Galloway. I want them to all sign it personally, every every last one of those letters, and explain why you had to let down the class of 2020 one more time. I mean, this class has been let down every month since they've graduated. I mean, it's just been a complete letdown for this class. Thank God they finally got their time this uh, weekend. But, yes, I'm sorry, class of 2020, once again. Everything you've been associated with us went downhill. But at some point, we're going to turn it around for you guys. Yeah, they waited 1.5 years for that game. Tough. And then the second one was the energy on the sideline. I can't really talk about the energy on the sideline. I'll be honest. I don't even pay attention much to the sideline. I will say this. I don't remember who it was. It was a prominent player that got a horrible – um, penalty for doing for like pushing a guy down or something like that after a play totally unneeded uncalled for and then he walked over on the sideline because obviously they pull him out and he acted like he could care less even though Mac was giving him an earful that kind of energy makes me wonder maybe that is the problem of this team maybe there's something that it doesn't look like I talk to people that watch practices I hear that practices go well so if it isn't the practices, if it isn't on the field, then I have to maybe assume that there's something deeper, like personalities or something. And I don't know that. That's just me speculating. I'll throw this one in there real quick because you mentioned it, and then I'll let you give yours, Matt. Uh, from Doc Kennedy, who usually – I don't know how he got through because usually he's muted for me, but his tweet <laughs> got through for me here. And it's add disconcerting signals to roughing the snapper – and things I've only heard called against UNC. That was a crazy call, Matt, and not a great time to have it called against us either because we thought it was going the other way against Florida State on a false start. Yeah, just another example of how many crazy calls <laughs> as a Carolina football fan have we been a part of? I mean, the things that get called at a Carolina football game is amazing. I, I can't even, you know, obviously the offsides versus Clemson is the biggest one that comes – to mind, but um, not saying it's the wrong call. I'm just saying sometimes we get some random, deep in the rule book calls against us uh, at the worst times possible. So that's just another example of being a Carolina football fan. Um, do you want me to give my one or two? Please. All right. <clears throat> this is from somebody I enjoy following. They follow me back. Don't know who they are, just a good Tar Heel Twitter fan. At Lee Marie PJ, I think that's the name. I keep seeing people talk about Keenan being dead, and I'm the first to criticize quiet crowds. But honestly, where I'm sitting, I see and hear people trying. Sometimes it's got to be up to the team to generate something. Let's go, boys. We're behind you. Well, this kind of goes hand in hand with what you were saying. Matt, I'm trying to find her. Um... Yep. All right, so it's, it's crazy. She does not follow the pod, but uh, I see her tweets all the time, and she's completely spot on with this as well. She don't miss. She she's don't. a great follow. Great follow. Um, but, yeah, exactly. I mean, I, our, our energy, I thought, was valid enough to win a game. So Yeah, and, you know, <clears throat> I haven't heard too many. There's people that always complain. I guess I think it's burner NC State Twitter accounts that say something about our crowd half the time. I don't think people are really complaining. I saw no complaints with the crowd. 
you definitely, I'm not going to sit here and allow you to complain about me when the big problem is what we're watching. Listen, Saturday was known as one of the best days in sports, but also best days in college football. And where was I at? I was in line for an hour pregame and at a football game for four and a half hours cheering on a losing football team. And I would do it again. I'm not complaining. I'm just saying don't question most of the fans' effort because we showed up to a raining game. Most of us showed up to a raining game, and we cheered. But when your team just continues to be lifeless and not good, it's hard to be as exciting as you would be like we were for the beginning of the season. Absolutely. All right, I got two more here. How many do you have, Matt? So I have one, but it goes directly with the Matt Brown comment. So I'll actually right. bring that one up after. All right, I'll go with my two, and then we'll get into the Matt Brown comment. I'll read it for us, too. The next one is from another great UNC Twitter follow here, Brian Ives, at A Way to Worthy. <laughs> he says, not sure I've seen North Carolina fans more furious about a sporting event than today. Livid. It's quite the hot take. It is a hot take because we're what people like to call a, a basketball school. So why are we getting so mad about football? It's because we care about sports and we're great at sports overall, people. Um, we are winners. If you went to Chapel Hill, if you pull for UNC, you are a winner. This is what we're used to. Um, even though football hasn't been consistently good, we've competed. So when you have a season that you're supposed to be a winner – a team full of winners, a, a program, building a winning program, you get really mad when it turns out not to be that. And my frustration, I don't even know if I was feeling more disappointed or angry. I don't, I don't know. I, I think there was just so much disappointment uh, over and over and over again. Being a Carolina fan, football fan is like that. So I understand anybody that's angry. Um, uh, Matt, I, I, I mean, I've had a pretty fun time of the game, not going to lie. I mean, I kind of enjoyed it, but <laughs> – I wasn't very, uh, I guess, heartbroken. Maybe, I don't know if that's just a personality thing or what, but this was not like the most angry I've been at a UNC sporting event. If you want to get into that, then let's talk some basketball games. Give one for you here, like the UNC loss against Clemson to break the streak. Pretty upset about that game. That's me. Uh, there's some other games that you can throw in there as well. NCAA tournament games other home losses here and there, like UNC basketball, when we don't, when we lose games like that, that, that gets me going some type of way. Now, and this isn't even a loss to a rival, but just the whole, I guess everything goes into this weekend, it's a bad loss. But of course, like if we play like this next weekend, how can you be more furious next weekend than this weekend? You know what I mean? Yeah, that man definitely saw some class of 2020 people <laughs> that were really fed up probably. Um, yeah, I mean, I agree. Listen, most of us that follow football and know football kind of understood even before this game that the things that we thought we were going to be playing for this season are already gone. Um, I think they were gone no matter if we beat Florida State or lose to Florida State because we haven't proven to be a good football team. It was a different level of – frustration and disappointment because now you go from we're just not going to be as good as we thought to oh we're just not going to be good which is a whole nother level but I don't think it gets worse from here it can't get worse from here if we were to lose every game the rest of the year um, I think these these last two losses were probably the most aggravating and yeah same with same with me Will I've got way angrier over other sports um, if you <clears throat> bring up that Wisconsin game, basketball game from last year, just yeah. even me thinking about it now and, and that being Roy's last game and us not showing up at all, I still feel my heartbeat is just going up. So let me check my blood pressure and we'll, we'll come back. Yeah, another great example, the Wisconsin game, way more upset yeah. after that game. Even with Florida State doing the uh, Jumpman logo in the end zone right in front of you when they scored, Travis um, – their quarterback did, right? Yeah, I, I, so it's creative to me, man. I mean, I, I it's not me out there getting beat. I hate to say that. That sounds horrible, and some people are not going to like that comment. But I'm there. I'm showing up. If you, I think that's a, a 
creative thing to do. Go ahead and do it. You've earned it. Yep. Um, and then the last one here is from, um, it's at Matt with two T's, Kinlaw <laughs> underscore 22. Don't go on my Twitter, and people. Matt Kinlaw underscore 22 says, among his many tweets after the game, I can confidently, and it, this has three plus likes at the time of screenshot, by the way. I can confidently say that if UNC loses this game, it's a fireable offense. Uh, what do you think they meant by fireable offense? Well, first of all, I hear this is a great Twitter account, um, but be careful. There's like a uh, a thing that says, "Be careful if you follow." You never know what you're going to get from this Twitter account. Um, no, I fired this tweet off. I want to say beginning third quarter. Um, in the student station, angry as ever, probably after Florida State sport or something. And I was thinking to myself, if we lose this game, something has to change. And the most obvious change would be somebody has to get fired. And that was by no means – I'm surprised I didn't – mostly I have a response to my tweet that's like, ah, you want to fire Mac Brown? No, that wasn't a tweet about firing Mac Brown, but it was a tweet about firing somebody. I don't care if it's the Dane uh, grad assistant. I don't know who the grad assistant is. I'm sorry. But – We better not fire TP, though. No, TP cannot be fired. Matter of fact, I'd want a TP to go out there and uh, play running back for us, but that's a whole different thing. Um, so I, that was just me voicing my frustrations, and I truly do believe that. This doesn't mean like a big-time coach has to be fired. Back Brown shouldn't be fired by any means, but a change has to be made. And and losing to Florida State, who has proven to be a god-awful program and a bad team this year, is a fireable offense. Yeah, and that leads into – our comments about expectations from Mac Brown. He says, my expectation, and this really got you going, Matt, my expectation is to win every game. Three times we've met it, we've met it, and three times we haven't. The national media expectations, the expectations for us to be a top 10 team were wrong. So I guess we should all be critical of the media for picking us too high because we're not that good. So you guys all screwed up. Before you get into it, Matt, and the tweet you want to also talk about here, I remember Matt Brown being on ESPN, these like Paul Feinbaum shows that UNC football was putting out before the season. And he was saying, you know, right now we're just renting the space. You know, Clemson, Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State, Oklahoma, they – have houses at the top four, but he said, right now we're renting. This man was talking about the top four and renting a house at the top four, Matt. This had nothing to do with expectations. He was thinking that we were a top four team, yet it was the media's fault for buying into the Mac Brown's preseason hype this year. Listen, you can't have your cake and eat it too. This man was on your show, Will, the Cowherd Show. We remember this. He okay? was. And he was building this program up as he should. I think he was doing right. Listen, even if you know maybe we're not to that point, build us up. I don't mind it. That is your job as the face of a program. Build us up. But your job as the face of the program is to also admit defeat, admit downfall. I hated this response from Mac Brown, and I think Mac Brown is the perfect person for Carolina football. But he is um, liable to be – uh, criticized sometimes. I think this was a cop-out. Um, this is like such a political answer, I think. It's like, oh, you did wrong. And it's like, well, I did wrong, but also they did worse. Somebody else did worse. It's not on me. Like, you know, this can't be all put on me. No, it is on you because you're the face of the program. Um, Will, I didn't even – I quote – I retweeted a quote to this tweet. I myself couldn't uh, – reply to this tweet because I felt like I would have maybe said some things out of anger, not bad things toward Mac Brown, but just maybe things that weren't completely true um, just out of anger. So I held back my own Twitter fingers, but there is a tweet that kind of uh, said perfectly what I was thinking in the moment. Brian Barber, a good Carolina follow. If you want a Carolina follow, Brian Barber is the guy at Brian C. Barber. 
the issue here is even if the media had UNC properly rated, the expectation still would have been for them to be FSU. And while that is quick and to the point, that is as true as ever. Even if we weren't a top 25 program, maybe not even a top 40 program, you still beat Georgia Tech and FSU. So I don't want to hear it, Mac. That was a cop-out. Take responsibility for your program. And you were part of the media at one point. So for you to go at the media like that didn't really sit right with me. And I'm a guy that goes at the media all the time. So I get it, but but don't don't it can't always be the media. <laughs> uh, man, I'm surprised that your your tweet was not like the M asterisk CK Brown with the asterisk in there just so that no one could track you back to saying anything bad about Matt Brown. No, I totally agree. Matt Brown, of course, is our coach. Like he's the best guy for the job by far. He represents UNC very well. I mean, just a bad answer, though, and I think there's a little bit of analysis from inside Carolina that he said it a little half-jokingly or whatnot, but, of course, you know, it was said, and you don't say things like that if you don't half-mean it. So um, I don't know if he, he thinks the players have got a big head before the season because of all of it, and, you know, if he's trying to build up the team too, there was no one else that could really bring them back down a level. And maybe that's why we're seeing this week to week here that Virginia Tech brought us down, our opponents are, and then we bounce back a little bit and then the Duke game and we feel good about ourselves. We see that we're at this level of the year, Matt, 18 and a half point favorites. I'd hate to know what the spread was going into the season against what will have been this Florida State team. It had to have been in the mid thirties, um, you know, home game like this as well. Very surprising, um, and that's and that's not even expectations. We always say Vegas does not miss; they always had the line right. So to have a result like that is it's very shocking. Um, yeah. Oh, I was just going to comment one last thing. Um, also, if we had a key injury, if something big had happened with the program, thank God we haven't had any injuries. We've been pretty pretty consistently. We've had small things here and there, and those things are questionable too, but it isn't like this team is god-awful all the time. This team comes out and is up 10-0. So it's like, Mac, the team really isn't – it doesn't seem like we're bad. We have everybody back, Will. The, the reason we started this podcast is because we had everybody back. Um, the team should be the same team we had last year in that last game, who was a very good team. So it isn't like the expectations were – that far off, it's just we are so inconsistent that we've now lost three games because of that inconsistency. And inconsistency tends to be coaching. So I just felt like that was uh, just not my favorite response. And, Mac, I'll cheer you on until I die because you deserve it and you've done great things. But that was just one mess up of yours. Yep. So I know we got a few more things on our agenda, but the pod is running a little long. If we got through our opening monologues a little bit, further in the show than we expected, I guess. So we'll get to the Zach Rice commitment. Zach Rice commitment, that will be later next week. We'll get to talking about that in our next pod. It's going to come out in the midweek. We'll talk about late night in HD this week. Um, we'll talk about the Miami game this week. We'll get a pod about all that out later in the week. But I do want to see this. I see it on the notes here, Matt. Um, Trey Morrison response to fan. What is that all about? All right, there's a uh, uh, Instagram account that I think we follow on the Carolina Way pod, but I also follow them through my own account. I wish I could shout them out, but I don't know their exact name. But they're Carolina. It might be UNC for life. I could be getting that wrong. That is one of the accounts out there. They commented, like, the final score or posted the final score, and there was a comment of a person who had deleted it. So I never got to see the comment, but the comment was obviously something about firing Dre Bly. <clears throat> and Trey Morrison jumps on Instagram and replies back something of the sort of, yeah, that's not it. Like that's not the problem. So I found that real interesting that Trey Morrison uh, took up for Dre Bly because there are people that are calling for Dre Bly because maybe some people feel like he's a good recruiter but not a good coach. I don't know if that's warranted. I don't really know anything about how good Dre Bly is. But 
for a player to come in immediately and take up a starting player at that take up for the coach. Um, that's kind of nice to see, and it gives me more confidence in what Dre Bly is doing. Uh, and maybe it's not his problem at all. Maybe it's some other problems. Because Trey Morrison didn't say, oh, no, it's not the coaches. Uh, he just came in and said, that's not it in terms of firing Dre Bly. Now, the guy deleted the comment probably smartly. Who wants to be shown up by a guy, Trey Morrison, who actually knows football? Um, but I just thought that was interesting that the player took up for him. And I kind of liked it. Yeah, Matt, I, I did not know what to expect at first. When I saw that note, I thought it was going to be a negative reaction from Morrison to a fan afterwards. And I was going to tell you that players need to have uh, be a little bit more quiet on social media when talking to fans. We see what happens with KD doing it. I don't like it one bit. I, I think it's disgusting uh, to get into it with fans. Like, it's just you don't need not to. It. It's, a little, it's a little sloppy. But Morrison here, I do appreciate the way that he comes at it. And I think more players should feel free to come at it from this angle to like back up their team, their staff, whatnot, and their comments back. Um, and we I hear about this too with Dre Bly, that you aren't too sure, you know, if he's coaching or not. We've heard this like rumor going on, but obviously you hear it from a player uh, is very nice to hear. We I mean, we already like Dre Bly enough. So it's nice. I guess to know that Dre Bly has like the buy-in from the players too, and um, that he won't be going anywhere at least because we don't need that to happen. Yeah, and, and like you said with KD, like if somebody comes on and says Trey Morrison isn't good, and then Trey Morrison gets into a full out full out argument, it's like okay, you have there's no reason for you to be doing this. But if like somebody was criticizing my boss or one of my friends on Twitter. Um, I might would, you know, say something back, no, nothing negative, but hey, that's not right. That's not correct. That's inaccurate. And that's kind of all I did. So I did like that. But yeah, the KD stuff, uh, KD now has to put on this show because he got caught with his burner. Uh, and I, but uh, Trey Morrison is not a burner, man. Trey Morrison is throwing it straight from the account. <laughs> <laughs> Great episode, though, as sad as it is, as, as bad as the program is, it kind of can only go up from here. I'm excited about the next episode, Will, because it's this is a very cliche thing to say as a Carolina fan, but it's almost basketball season, and that's what I have to look forward to. Hey, don't meet us there. Beat us there. <laughs> oh, yeah, B-Dot. <laughs> boy, it's B-Dot season. We can't wait to hear this man at late night on Friday. We're going to give you a pod, give you a little preview of it. We'll look at the Miami game, and we're still trying to get B-Dot on the pod. Look, we're, we're trying to make it happen. He's a busy man. But we will at some point. So he's going to blow up after he's going to blow up after late night, and that's that's when to bring him on. That's the strategy I'm taking. Hey, Matt knows how to do it. <laughs> I like it. Good pod. See y'all in a few days. Go heels. <laughs>